Welcome to the 232 Podcast. I'm Sean. And I'm Carl. This podcast is about books, reading, and the meaning of life. Today we unpack another book because you know what they say. Too many books. Too little time. Welcome to episode 8 of the 232 podcast. Good morning, Carl. Hey, Sean. How are you? We're in a pretty special place today. We certainly are. We're a pretty special person, to be honest. So um, we're in the uh, Turanga, which is the main public library in Christchurch. We're in a very slick studio. It does look like a professional podcasting studio, doesn't it? It does. It's a bit scary. The sound quality, hopefully, will be really, really good. Um, (laughs) So what are we doing today? What are we doing? Well, we're we're into the next part of our um, interviews episodes. We're, we're giving this another go. We've got um, a person here with us and we're building upon our last week's episode, episode seven about the good ancestor, where Carl and I had a good discussion about the book, but we wanted to bring the third person in and we should, it's kind of like, I could do a drum roll. There's a drum kit sitting there. Come on, enough, enough. Anyway, Tim Loftus. Welcome, Tim. Thanks, Sean. Awesome to be here. It's great to have you here. And well, we should do a quick intro. So tell us a little bit about yourself, Tim. And Yeah, well, while you're thinking about that, when we read this book and we thought about who do we need to talk about this book, we thought about you immediately. So Thank you. I'm very honored by that for whatever reason. The marshmallow brain part was it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, yeah very good. Yeah, so hey, I'm I'm Tim. So I uh, yeah, I don't know what you want me to say, but I guess my I'll start out by saying my Canadian accent. Yeah, that's yeah, good. Yeah, because yeah. people always want to know right out of the gate. Um, but I'm actually a Kiwi originally. Um, yeah. Anyways, long long career in uh, business. So I come from a business background, and I was introduced to sustainability about 15 years ago. Really? Um, by some of the big leaders of, of it over there. Uh, in the U.S., ah. um, yeah, and so sustainability has kind of been at the forefront of my mind uh, and my career for a very long time, and that's pr- might be why this book uh, resonated mm. with you and me. Yeah. So, so did you? St- what did you study? Um, bus- like you, you yeah. studied business, and I studied marketing. My marketing. old man was a businessman. He ah. was he was a CEO of a big company, global company, and therefore I thought that was the only way I was going to get a job was to study business. Yeah. So I went right into marketing, and I was interested in working in the outdoor gear and apparel industry, mm. thinking that I could convince people to spend more time outdoors uh, through marketing. Yeah. So that was my naive ah, youth. That's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> and, that's, and that's been the thread through your career, hasn't it? It like, has. Yeah. For sure, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so there's a lesson here, right, which is we should never get the guests to introduce themselves. Make a note of this. Because <laughs> clearly the reason we've got Tim here is, and he, he wouldn't say it because he's too modest, but he is one of the uh, the, the best known and deepest thinkers when it comes to sustainability and particularly about sustainability in business, right? So, Tim, stop being so modest. Oh, thanks, Carl. That's very, <laughs> that's very generous of you. <laughs> yeah, leave modesty at the door. Yeah. So, so um, we, we need to start with the book. Um, what did you, you know, we, we, you, I believe it was on your reading list anyway, but we, we moved it up a little bit. To, yeah. To, to, well, to interestingly, podcast, my reading list Pretty much like triples in length every time I hang out with Carl. Yeah, I, I found that too. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he's this just, is this is one way of remedying it is yeah. to put a schedule Start a podcast. in. Yeah, that's yeah. right. At least half the conversation is him listing books that I need to read, and this mm. has actually been on my list for a, for a very long time. Mm. So um, when we chatted uh, about a month ago about this, um, yeah. I was really happy to put it at the top of the list and, and get so it. So did that so. come from Carl? This book, yeah. the the recommendation. It did. Yeah. 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 
um, quite a while yeah. ago, yeah. but I'm glad I finally got around to it because, yeah, you know how it is. There's lots of books to oh, read. <laughs> so many books, so not enough time. Yeah, right. Like, business, don't we? So <laughs> let's start at the top. What, what's your hot take? Hot take on this one? Yeah. Mm. Uh, you know what? I think um, the sign of a good book is one um, that gets you thinking, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And one that if you put it down and go about your day and you're still thinking about mm. what you've been reading, it's a good book. Yeah. yeah. And I think that this book did that job in spades for sure. Yeah. Um, I, my wife talks about it often. Like if you're constantly referencing the book, it means it, it's onto something. Yeah. Right? yeah. And it's generally your wife that picks up the <laughs> constant <laughs> referencing, isn't Most it? Most certainly, yeah. yeah. She's far more astute than I. <laughs> <laughs> I find my wife does the same. You, you're still talking about that yeah. book, but that's good. Yeah. That's good. And like was, you say. And I think he's hit, uh, I think Rome has hit a, um, an absolutely important conversation to mm. be had for sure. Mm-hmm. Whether or not, uh, like we talked a little bit earlier about sort of some of the recommendations and, you know, nuanced differences about whether or not you agree or disagree. I think, mm. I think kind of if you take it up a level, that's a good thing. Yeah. Opening the debate and totally. opening the conversation is what well, it's, it's all about. Well, it's not a black and white topic, is it? It's Correct. Real. Mm. Correct. Yeah. So mm. I think one of the things we, we picked up on when we talked about the book was we really like the decolonizing the future notion, right? Giving a voice to the future. Which are the bits that are you uh, are still repeating and for you? Mm. Good question. Yeah. Uh, well, you talked about acorn and marshmallow on the way in, right? Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. I mean, obviously, a lot, to be honest, one of the things that has really resonated with me while I think through this is um, some of my exposure over the last few years to Maori Tonga and mm-hmm. understanding mm-hmm. sort of traditional, the traditional view um, of indigenous people mm. and seeing like there's the, the deepest wisdom of humanities sits there. Absolutely. And so while I was reading through this, it felt a lot like kind of an academic review uh, from a Western perspective yeah. yes. uh, of something yes. that has long been Well, entrenched. I think that was one of your criticisms you made last week, right? Which mm. is, it, it feels like it's once over likely of some very deep, particularly, you know, indigenous Maori ideas about the environment and the future. Yeah. And, and it's covered in the book, but it's one of... Yeah, yeah it's covered in the it? book um, in a way. Yes. Like in a superficial yeah, sort of way. And yeah. then I think a lot of the, if I look through my notes, I would say probably one of the things that jumped out at, I really enjoyed uh, the sociology, right? I really mm. enjoyed the deep understanding <laughs> and evaluation of history. Um, I really enjoyed the journey through a variety of different um, concepts mm. and opinions about things. But the bit that really kind of irritated me mm-hmm. was what was clearly a, a, a negative view of capitalism. Right. Yeah. Like in a staunch and yeah. uh, I think rather biased way. Yeah. Um, which, yeah, obviously doesn't really bode well with me being a business guy. And <laughs> Yeah. So, so it, it's, it's interesting because this isn't the only book that has that jarring aspect to it. And, yeah. and, and it can be used often as a dismissal of the concept of sustainability, isn't it? When it's presented from a, effectively an anti-capitalist view, mm. you know, this, um, a more, um, I, I guess, left a edge to things. Mm. Um, that does undermine the engagement with a book or, or get used as an excuse. And I'm pretty interested to see if you've seen that in business as well. Well, so hold on, let me, let me mm. just jump in here. I mean, you, that's certainly a, I can see how you get that interpretation, but you can also take some of those ideas, cathedral projects, legacy projects, and you could apply them to business, can't you? you like if you, sure. You, know, you if could. you think about those mm. ideas at the end. You could. Yeah. But then, and yeah, I guess it's how they're presented, isn't right. it? So he does present long-term business, doesn't he? In, he does. In the book, you know? Yep. Yeah. Yep. I mean, mm. to give you an idea, so when I, f- 
the person that introduced me to sustainability in business mm. was a woman by the name of Sally Jewell, who was the CEO of REI, which is a big outdoor retailer yes. in the U.S. Yeah. When I started working for that company, she was explaining to me that she was working on the 100-year strategy for the co-op. It was a mm. consumer-owned co-op. And then the 100-year strategy was like very inspiring to me at the time, right? Mm. It's multi, multi-generational thinking about business, yeah. um, which obviously put a lot of people off, mm. but also inspired quite a few others. Mm. Um, and that's the piece I think that really, she ended up going on to work for the Obama administration in his cabinet and so on. Like she's a powerhouse, big thinking type of person. Um, and I think that's the kind of mindset that really resonates with me. And he does reference this in the book, those types of businesses, Absolutely. particularly he talked a little bit about um, in Japan, I yes. think. Yeah, the number of businesses that are yeah. over 100, 200 years old. 3,000, I think he said, to yeah. over 200-year-old businesses. Yeah. I'm like, so we do have long-term thinking. Like, I think it's it's false to suggest that somehow long-term thinking doesn't exist mm. or that it's a dichotomy to the capitalism. Mm. I don't believe that capitalism is inherently a short-term endeavor. Mm. And I think that's a little bit where it falls over for me. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we don't want to make this a conversation about capitalism, but I mean, there are there are various ways of thinking about capitalism, like, you know, kind of social democratic mm. approaches, mm. as opposed to kind of much more neoliberal short term thinking. I mean, certainly, if you're operating a business that's pursuing quarterly results, thinking in 100 years can be a hell of a challenge, right? Yeah. Just, um, may I have my book, please? How did that conversation go down? If, obviously, it struck a chord with you in terms of you're like, whoa, 100 year. Mm, this is interesting. But yeah. what what was the other conversation? Was it being dismissed um, at the time by other people? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and what was the thinking behind that? Like, what could you see? <laughs> well, that company was a, was a retail company to mm. begin with. And mm-hmm. as you know, uh, retail is all about people coming through the door and buying things. Yeah, yep. and consumerism um, is largely part of the problem as to how we got to where we are today. That's right. Yeah. So the notion of a hundred-year thinking to somebody who's trying to get people in the door to buy stuff, yeah, and make margin is really difficult. Mm. So there was massive tension in the business for sure around altruistic mindset versus the reality of the day-to-day trading. So did that feel like a handbrake? That, that, you know, like the, the people were fearful that potentially thinking longer term was yeah. a, a handbrake. What's, a, what's mm. a practical example of something they did? So <clears throat> we know here at the airport, they've tried to deal with some of their issues by planting trees. And, the, you know, there's a debate about what's the real merit of offsets. Yeah. But so how do you actually do something that's focused 100 years in the future? How do you do it? Yeah, like what's an example? It's like, a great question. In, eh? like, investing in staff and community? For sure, it's about people, no right. doubt. Mm-hmm. Um, so, he, so Sally, who I reference, have referencing, she introduced me to Yvonne, Yvonne Chenard from Patagonia, who's you yeah, know, obviously you guys would probably know, very famous. Sure. And I think you know, there's various tactics that they've taken, big risks mm. in their careers mm. that have ultimately created a new groundswell in business. Mm. Things like "Don't buy this jacket" campaign, that's yeah. right, or in uh, the repair campaign, you know, the, the repair repairs, services that they donating all the profits from, you know, from mm. Black Friday, this kind or of closing thing. from Black <laughs> closing <laughs> on Black Friday. You yeah. know? So that's the antithesis yeah. of the retail mindset, mm. and so to me, those are the types of actions that help people question. Um, some of the core tendencies in our society, right? Mm, so mm. you might say, oh, that's just a tactic to build their brand. 
Maybe so. Mm. But most global brands now are evaluating whether or not Black Friday is something they want to participate in. Right, absolutely. And so in some ways, there is an intergenerational ripple effect of those types of bold decisions. Mm. And I think that that's what we have to focus on is baby steps that ultimately help awaken um, a broader group of the community that's really not mm. not tuned in. Yeah. It's a massive challenge when you think about it, the the idea of thinking beyond, and in, in, it talks about the reference of your own lifetime. I mean, it's hard enough for an individual to conceptualize what that's like beyond your own lifetime let alone to do it with a business with a few thousand people yeah. and shareholders yeah, and but, but all got, that kind of stuff but, isn't it it's, but yeah. if you've got children and grandchildren yeah right in your own life in your own family you're already thinking yeah. about that intergenerational yeah but but not, not everyone transfer of wealth but not everyone in an organization no, true, does true. and shares that yeah. vision of what it could be isn't it so it's a it's a fascinating i, I want to go back challenge. to your background in marketing right because this reminds me of a conversation that lee parkinson here in christchurch uh from plato began which mm. is Marketing helped get us into this mess. How do we use our tools mm. as marketers to help get us out of this mess? Do you have any thoughts about that? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I do have quite a lot of thought around it. Um, I think we do need to rewire the way we think about marketing. Mm. Like what we think about in marketing, we generally think about advertisement yes. or coercion, you know. And I think marketing, the modern day marketing is actually more evolving into authentic communication yeah. and transparency. Mm. I think if any business is onto it, they recognize that. Mm. Um, so it's about pulling back the curtain and being honest with the consumer about the challenges mm. that you face. Mm. And in many cases, that radical transparency is what builds loyalty. And ultimately, yeah. if you're a marketer, building loyalty is one of the greatest outcomes you can create mm. with a consumer. Which is what you see with brands like Patagonia, et cetera. Well, certainly. Yeah. Mm. People are raving fans, right? They wear it as a badge of honor that, mm. that they represent the same values. And I think businesses that are out, you know, for the short-term advertisement hook mm. are kind of missing the broader zeitgeist in the community. Today. So there's a depth to the profession of marketing that is starting to... I guess, well, it's potentially already there, wasn't it? But, you know, reimagining what it could be. Yeah, I think so, right? More. Brand, mm. brand and brand purpose, right? Mm. So what are you even here for? Mm. Like those five whys of mm. what are you, why does your business exist? Mm. If it's not for a greater purpose than profit, then you're probably not going to be around for very long. Mm. Mm. I like that. And I like the fact that the zeitgeist is changing, right? Most certainly. Yeah. Mm. Good. Yeah, yeah. And quickly, like really quickly. Really quickly. Yeah. So you need to get to the future first. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. I was That's my favorite quote you say, Carl. <laughs> Since you've mentioned future, getting to the future first, I think about it all the time. But I was thinking about that on my bike ride in this morning right. in preparation for this chat. When I got into sustainability, that wasn't that long ago, right? It was 10, mm. 10 15 years ago. Mm. Um, and you could say, well, 10 years. It took 10 years for sustainability to be in the headlines mm. or for climate change to be mm. in the news. Mm. I think, well, ultimately, literally, I can tell you 10 years ago, it wasn't part of the conversation right. whatsoever. No, right. no absolutely. And so if we're thinking uh, intergenerationally, yeah. that's a bloody quick turnaround. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And we're not talking about new thinking. It's just more pervasive, isn't it? For sure. Yeah. What do you think's caused that? Like, what are, what are the... What what have you seen? Well, other than the planet's on fire. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm interested in the human side of it. You know, like, what, why is this now a thing that's caught on? Like, what shifts do you see in organizations that have meant that this has come up the agenda or this kind of thinking that's a great question i think carl's right that there's obvious more re relevant oh, absolutely. evidence yeah. uh, in the, in the yeah. news today but to be frank like if i think about some of the key drivers of change in some of the businesses mm. i've worked in previously i mean ultimately it's the, the younger generation is coming in mm. uh, into the market 
and they are hyper aware of these mm. challenges. Yeah. Mm. And if you don't have a bigger purpose and you're not working towards this, mm. you're not in mm. on their short list. I'd of also places argue the leadership's <laughs> evolving, isn't it? Because the leadership's younger, you know, is in a different generation coming into leadership positions now. As oh, well. I think so. Mm. Yeah, D- mm. definitely diversity. Um, certainly age diversity, but. And diversity more generally. Well, you know, in the the history of science, they talk about, you know, ideas evolve one generation at a time. Mm. You know, your opponents, you don't convince your opponents, they just die. Mm. You know, like as a a new generation of leaders comes through with new ideas. Mm. Books, books. I need my books. Hey, I want to go back to the book. um, Yes. Because... um, if not this book, are there other books that you would, if, if somebody came to you and said, I'm really interested in sustainability and business, what what I can do better, do you have any books you'd point them to? Are there, are there ones that are at the top of the list? Um, there are countless. Right. Countless. Mm. Um, I referenced, excuse me, I referenced to you uh, a moment ago about uh, Ministry for the Future. Oh, yes. 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 Yeah. So I have some really dear friends of mine in Vancouver put me onto that book, and I explained to them, well, actually, I, you know, I'm a nonfiction guy <laughs> uh, in yeah. my in my kind yeah. of whatever, whatever that is, whatever that is, and they're yeah. like, no, no, give it a go. Yeah, and I was blown away. I was it was a page turner for me. Yeah, um, and they call it a deep science fiction novel, yes. mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So it's based on plausible science, and I found it to be um, very, very riveting. And on a lot of levels. Mm. So I'd say that one for sure. Yeah, but it's a great book. I'd love to get that one on the curriculum at schools. Mm. Yeah. I'd probably it's a long take, book. <laughs> at the risk of taking. <laughs> Might take all of your school yeah. years to get through, but yeah. Right. I'd probably say at the risk of taking the conversation in kind of a strange new direction, yeah. um, I'd probably suggest that some other books are probably more that, that I think about mm. are probably more in the space of less science, more social. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, you know, yeah. the likes of you know, Brene Brown or some of these kind of <laughs> yes. massively trending right. um, mindfulness or, or open-minded perspectives. Like I, I traditionally think most of the books I read are, are mostly entrenched in, um, you know, in, in sort of Zen Buddhism yeah. pr- mm, tradition, yeah. mm-hmm. Suzuki and uh, you know, Ram Dass, these kind yes. of mindsets. Yes. And, mm. and from my perspective, that the challenge we have in our society is not short-term thinking. Mm. Uh, the challenge I think we have in our society is, Egoic. Oh my God! Look, look, this is this is where the conversation takes a hard left. Right? <laughs> like, I, 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 if you think about why are people consuming so much, and why are people doing what they're doing? You know, you can go back to the notion of you know they're, they're acting out because they don't feel like they belong and are rooted. Right? Mm, yes. You know, like there's a great saying in Zen Buddhism, which is, you know, the the problem at the heart of every other problem is the illusion of the skin encapsulated ego. Right. Yes. The illusion at the heart. Mm. The the problem at the heart of every other problem is the illusion of separateness mm. because you think you're separate from me and your community and your environment mm. is precisely why you think you can treat it the way you want. That's a, this is a very deep conversation all of a sudden, guys. Well, yeah. mm. No, it's good, it's good though because when you, when you confront topics like this, when there's too much in the book, uh, and I guess that was my point earlier around engagement, you know, like if we're not engaging the right people with books we need to engage multiple parts of the system and you know yeah. like if a um because i was uh, who's i'm trying to remember the guy's name interface um carpets oh, yeah uh, ray anderson ray anderson he always yeah. talks about the ecology of commerce and, sure, and yeah. that's an that's a real bell ring over book where you yeah, know paul like Hawken. anything yeah. paul ha- that's another thing i should have just said at the top anything paul, paul Hawken Hawken touches yep, yep. is absolutely core right, right. Mm. he's done some incredibly new things around regeneration like he's got this mm. new website that's just about a depth of um, database around what regeneration means at different mm. levels of society, like 
Paul Hawkins Laundry. Or, or, or Drawdown's another one. Yes, Drawdown's, I was going to say, yeah, is like, another classic. Yeah. Here's a list of solutions. You know, get yeah, after yeah. them. Yeah. <laughs> but this is the thing. Like, I, yeah, I, there's, a, there's an eloquence in the simplicity of some of these books, isn't there? Yep. Because it's, it's engaging. It's um, not trying to overwhelm you with too many moving pieces. And, and I, we were just talking earlier about um, In Silent Spring. That came out in 1962. You could read that today. And that takes a great thing about it is it, it's a single issue book yes. that makes you go and stop and look at a wider range of issues. So you're not being bombarded with a thousand issues. Yes. You've got a single issue. That's what that for me that was like a wall. Yeah, no, that was a, a, yeah, that's a stunning book. Mm. I, I felt the same way about Hazel Henderson's Politics of the Solar Age oh, yeah, in the eighties yeah. and nineties. Yeah. yeah, you know, and we talked Schumacher in the seventies. Yeah, well, thing. he's another. Yeah, yeah you know, another. Like, I mean, our, our problem, of course, is a a book podcast is we're better at writing about this and 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 documenting it than we are in doing anything about it. Yeah, mm. I think that's a. F- that's a fair assessment. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> I don't, I mean, mean, I don't mean us. I mean the West. No, but right? we've talked yeah. about we have talked about this, haven't we? Yeah, yeah the the challenge of, um, you know, so what? What is this obsession people have with books? Yeah. yeah so what? What would you like? I mean, take this book for example. Yeah. What would? Is there something in this book that you would go to a business leader or through your work and go, you this bit is. You should read this, but this this might trigger something. Yeah, I mean, I think to your point around the simplicity, like there's some key themes in the book that really jump out. Um, that I think that can resonate with others quite mm. easily. Mm. Um, the one that probably sticks in my mind is cathedral thinking. Yeah, right? that's yeah, yeah. Um, that's fantastic, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, we're sitting in Turanga. Like this was cathedral thinking. The people mm. in our council, you know, you could argue all kinds of things about our council, but intergenerational yep. investment. Mm. We're sitting in a cathedral thinking outcome that's which right. is a beautiful asset for our city well we're kids. sitting in a recording studio in a library which i know yep. people who battled to get this right in this yeah. building because no libraries are about books no 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 libraries are about learning and you've got to have facilities and they've got to be for the community and there's been a lot of music made in this room by people who aren't in the music industry right yeah. you know like yeah. it's that kind of thinking isn't it it's incredible yeah exactly right i mean uh, i guess to me the other piece is just around um interconnectedness mm. you know i think that's uh i read a great book um owen eastwood wrote belonging oh mm. yes. we love that we yeah. love yeah which essentially is core is rooted in fuck a papa absolutely and, mm. and intergenerational a good new zealand boy in the in the sports world in the uk right yeah yeah, yeah. and it's you know the notion is that you're hand in hand with your yeah. ancestors and and the people coming ahead and mm. for me that's those are the kind of concepts i think that business need to begin to embrace mm. um and not not from a profit drive, driver, but actually from just becoming relevant mm. or remaining relevant in the marketplace. Totally. Yeah. I'm sorry. Excuse me. Did I just see you smell that book? So, in the time we've got left, why don't you talk to us about your reading habits? Like, how do you? Where do you find time to read? How important is it to you? And uh, how do you structure it? Well. Um, that's a very interesting question. So I have two beautiful little girls, mm-hmm. five and seven, mm. and so I don't have a huge amount of time. Yeah. What I've found, I'm completely, admittedly, completely consumed with Audible. So I'm listening, mm. I go on long runs in the in the hills and listen to books. Yeah. Um, and that's probably how I chew through most of my books. Otherwise, um, it's the evenings laying in bed, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, and I'm trying to get the the biggest trouble I think I have, and I'm assuming you guys have a similar 
approach is that I've got too many books on the go. Mm. So, I'm you know, sometimes yeah. I'll feel like yeah. this and sometimes yeah. I feel like that. And I've got probably three or four at my bedside that I'm just oh. chiseling away at. Do you, can you handle three or four? Or no. do you think, no, and, no uh, I like it. It's a snacking approach to reading. I love <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. You could probably handle three or four books at once. Yeah. I know. I like to get them out. I like to, if I've started them, I like to finish them. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think like what, that one of the things I do like about Audible is that you can get through them really quickly. Right. And I find I get lost, you know, literally I'll get lost on a run. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then the run gets longer and then yeah. you finish the book. So what, about, yeah. you, what about fiction? Where does that fit into your, your reading? Yeah, universe? you mentioned the Rarely. non-fiction. Right. Mm. Yeah. Um, the couple fiction book, Overstory uh, and Ministry for the Future yeah. are probably the two fiction yeah. books that have really captured me recently. Cool. Otherwise, it's non-fiction consumption yeah. in a big way. All <laughs> yeah, right. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm really intrigued to get any recommendation around fiction because I, I was captured, as I mentioned, um, by the notion. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've talked before about non-fiction books that are written kind of with the, the cadence of fiction. Yes. Mm. You know, so you pick up a non-fiction book and it just draws you in and it's a page turner. Mm. And you see that more and more in non-fiction yeah. books, don't you? The storytelling, storytelling. Yeah. 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 I think I, I naively as a younger person thought, well, if I'm going to spend the time reading, I'd want to learn about things that are real. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. And interesting. I thought for some reason fiction couldn't do that, but of course I was wrong. <laughs> yeah, Charles, yeah. Charles Dickens would disagree. Tell me, have you thought about writing? a book uh i have thought about it yeah yeah i haven't come close to doing it right um i've thought about the i love the um this new paradigm of um eastern philosophy beginning to influence the way we operate business Mm. so i'm really interested in that intersection at the moment um gus beth did it for me he was a hard science advisor for the clinton administration a long time ago and one of his quotes went viral on Instagram a while back. That's essentially saying, I thought the biggest challenge we had was biodiversity loss and climate change. But it's actually, you know, it's greed, it's apathy. Yeah, of course. It, it's our, yeah. it, we need a spiritual awakening, yeah. essentially. Mm. Yeah. And so I'm really interested wow. in that intersection. Um, if I look back on my 10 years of sustainability implementation mm. within the corporate setting, mm. I mean, these are publicly traded businesses, private businesses. Mm. Even I did even a stint here in... in um, public sector mm. which was fascinating um and i'd say almost all of it was around interpersonal change management yes mm. absolutely like the science yeah. was irrelevant in comparison to the way people felt and thought in the in the in the boardroom absolutely yeah, yeah. and and, and yeah. you're bang on yeah i was i, I wrote down behavior change because this is like a real core root of all of this well you stuff, know my, my view of this is it's all applied psychology right yeah uh, <laughs> of course, of course yeah. but, but yeah. the question you're raising is a great one we don't have mm. time to go into it but how much is enough Mm. You know, how much is enough for us as individuals, as for organizations, for corporations? Yeah. Well, that's interesting. Actually, that was another kind of theme that came out of reading this book, um, The Good Ancestor. It felt to me, I really enjoyed it, as I say, I was immersed in it. Mm. Um, It felt to me as though it was um, from a perspective of a rather well-off position. Like you have to be quite in a good position in your life to be, have the luxury to think long-term. And I do think of the billions of people around the planet today that are struggling today. So mm. while we might be exploiting future generations, we're actually exploiting current generations as well. Mm. Mm. Um, and I think that that's probably more of an I- important short-term issue. And it's a tricky <laughs> challenge. It, like, it brings it back to that connectivity thing, isn't it? It's like the we versus me exactly. challenge that sits in all of this. Mm. Exactly. So, yeah. It's a big topic. Yeah. <laughs> what would be? What would be... As a as a sustainability professional, um, what would be your 
kind of key message or key takeaway for for someone listening to this if they're inside an organization or that you wanted to get one point across to an organization oh wow. that's related for the to the book oh no <laughs> just generally no no generally i mean it's the books the idea of the book is it triggers thinking doesn't it so. yeah 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 well you know humans are incredible we're an incredible species right mm. and i am an eternal optimist mm. and in the face of something as horrific as climate change or biodiversity loss um it's very easy to give up right yeah. or to yeah. assume there's no hope and that we're all doomed and how could we have done mm. this mm. Um, but those are really not useful mindsets. Mm. They're not useful thoughts. Mm. And so in my view, the only thing we can do now is to dig in and get working. Yeah. Mm. You know, and it's about really getting tactical, not mm. spinning your communications, mm. not setting lofty, ambitious goals, but actually digging in and, and finding real solutions in the short term um, to advance the cause. Right. Mm. And the mm. more you do that and the more open and honest you are in doing that. The more people jump on board. Absolutely. It's, yeah. you know, typical. Get stuck in, basically. Yeah. Get stuck in, exactly. Yeah. And from a business perspective, when you do so, people get in and follow you, right? Yeah. Like it's, um, if you demonstrate you're doing the right thing and you're doing your best mm. and you're honest about that mm. process, mm. You'll, you'll create raving fans and followers. And I think that's the most important thing. Yeah. yeah. Wow. No, that's awesome. That's oh, a great what a way to leave yeah, it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I can, it's fantastic. That was fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, thank you, Tim. It's been amazing to share this quarter with you. And yeah, what a topic. I mean, we we, we threw you into the, <laughs> the abyss with a massive topic. That's <laughs> oh, a big topic. You've yeah. been a great, yeah. yeah. Thank it's you. No, thank you for inviting me. I'm dying to hear your list of books that I need to read, particularly on the fiction side. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, well, we can. Yeah, yeah, we we can yeah no, absolutely. And I'll All be right. tuning into your podcast for sure. Oh, no, thank you. Thank and you, we'll man. be back next week Sweet. with another yeah. episode. Look forward to it. Yeah. Thanks, All right. Carl. All right. Cheers, guys. Thank you for listening to the 232 podcast. We'll be back soon with another book. Unpacked, distilled and unhinged. But until then, stop, stop read, read and, and repeat. repeat.